RE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. If you have ever spent any time at all at a, at a conference or a seminar or a summit to learn about marketing or communications or networking, then you know how truly confusing and homogenized all of that can seem. What is important to know about marketing now? And how do sales relate to marketing? And especially, how does all of that fit into the Wild West atmosphere of the Internet? Well, Red Ventures is a marketing company in Fort Mill, South Carolina that claims to have cracked the code to the entire direct marketing process. The company that runs a website you use to find the best mortgage and CD rates is being sold. Red Ventures is buying bank rate for $1.2 billion. I'm saving a couple of, I'm saving a couple of these so that I. Uh, he wants to take one home. Well, that, but also I'll I want to make this. sure I can get them excited later if we need. These to. are like special shirts. You can't, can't get find these my water. anywhere. Oh, right there. Welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We are super pumped up about this. So this is our second live studio audience for our podcast, um, but we're, as you said, really excited to be here. Who's listened to an episode of the podcast before? Good, three of you. So awesome. Now lie, now lie. How uh, many of you have heard it? Yes, all <laughs> lies. We're looking for lies now for the podcast. Yes, that's what we thought. Only even 20 of them will lie and say they've heard it. Um, well, we do hope you'll listen to it after this because you guys are going to be on it. Uh, we will be putting this out. We put it out every Monday uh, after our city council meetings, but we don't have one next week, so that's why we scheduled it this week. And this will be released on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts next Monday if you want to remember what we said and what you said, because this is gonna be interactive here at the end. Um, and we're looking forward to having Rick up with us. Before we uh, progress, I have a couple housekeeping items for the group. One, you know the visitor badges we all got? I asked them specifically if I could put mine where Larkin's tattoo is, so I've got mine right back there. Um, I should warn you, only a third of Tark's jokes are funny. Not, not even a third. I, I tested this one on a few people out there, I just wanna check. Um, how many people watch Silicon Valley? Yes, yeah, see, more like than you 10%. thought. Like 10%. Not many. Hooli. Does this not have a little bit of a Hooli vibe to it here? No? That Two was laughs. You guys. Well done, Two sir. laughs. Um, okay, next item in housekeeping. Uh, I ran into my good personal buddy who works here, Scott Bagley. Scott, stand up. Where are you at, man? Scott Bagley. Ladies and gentlemen, one of your own here. He's with the, I learned today, the All Connect group. Sounds like there's not much going on there right now. Um, and it reminded me, he was talking, we're about the same age, and he was like, yeah, like he's like, I'm one of like the dinosaurs around here. And it reminded me of, you know, this is like the NFL out here where they're like, oh, yeah, he's 26. Man, I can't believe he's still hanging around. He's at the end of the prime. But, um, but I thought that was amazing. I really love the campus, love what you guys have done out here. It's pretty incredible Dollar story. slices of pizza. Yes. There's two things we need to discuss about them before we go into our topics. One is the new apartments. 
The How new many of you are going to live in new apartments? How many are you going to live there? Does well, this, is this sounds like, like it was a knowledge? great idea, Rick. Yes. Great idea. We're trying. What, what's the name of it? There's like an informal name right now. Soba. South of Valentine. Larkin came up with I one. Got a we better want a one. quick poll. Larkin's got to go in quick. Maybe we re rename it on this podcast. What do you say? Clono. Close to nowhere. Clono. <laughs> yeah, Rick's like, oh my God, this was a bad idea. Something to consider, Rick. Anybody else got any good ideas? Okay. Real creative group. Excellent. <laughs> um, and then finally, the belief wall. Excellent. Belief wall. Um, one thing is confusing me about the belief wall. It's like you have to run up escalators. There are no escalators here. <laughs> okay. Clear. Got Inspiring. it. Inspiring. All right. Well, that was all I had. Continue. All right. It's been, thanks for coming. Yeah. Excellent. No, what are we, we're going to talk about city council first. Um, and we want to talk with Rick about what you guys are doing down here. But as was mentioned, in 2015, there were exactly zero people elected under the age of 40. And in 2017, in November, hopefully an election many of you voted in, the average age of city council dropped by 20 years. Show of hands, how many of you voted in it? You're right. See, they'll lie about Total that, lie. but not listen to our <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. Um, <laughs> so six of us out of 11 were elected under 40. And it was one of the biggest kind of wave elections in, in local city history. And it's been really interesting. So it's been a balance trying to, to find how five folks who are more veteran members of council that range in age from like 50 to 70 um, interact with those of us that range from 29 to 38. And so one of the first things we did for people who appreciate technology and new ways to connect, one of the things we did was put our, our meetings on Facebook Live. We put our public forums where people get to come yell at us about things they're upset about mm -hmm. uh, back on television. They'd been taken off television because it was like, well, we don't want people screaming at us on live TV. But the fact of the matter is government, one of the things people get so frustrated about is how opaque it is and that they don't really feel like they can see what's going on inside of it. So we wanted to kind of pull back the curtain in as many ways as possible so that anybody who has any interest in it can, can watch. Now, admittedly, the TV, live, or the, uh, the TV channel that you'd watch it on the government channel, mostly pretty boring, and watching a Facebook Live of a five-hour zoning meeting, also pretty boring. Uh, so Tark and I, at the or very not. beginning of our term, well, yeah, it depends on which meeting, but... It is. I'm just kidding. Um, Tark and I, at the joke. beginning of the term, started talking about doing this podcast. And the idea was that we could make, you know, a 30 or 45-minute episode each week that broke down the highlight reel of what happened on city council. We could talk about it from a younger perspective, but also talk about it from a Republican and a Democrat perspective, which is the other thing that we hear complaint-wise about government is that, you know, you watch one channel and they're just, all Republicans are idiots. The other channel says all Democrats are idiots. And it's like, why and would you want to watch? only one is right. <laughs> That's the, the bad part about that. Some people laughed. Um, but why would you want to watch either of those channels? And, and as is almost always the case, the answer and the, the logic lies somewhere in the middle, but nobody really kind of plays in that middle space. So we, we thought it was an opportunity to have uh, respectful dialogue where we're not screaming at each other like the, the talking heads that you see on CNN or Fox News or whatever else, um, and have been really pleased with the response we've gotten and have already had on three members of the United States Congress, including a senator, um, have had on a lot of our colleagues and, and business leaders around the community. So 
Uh, we look forward to having Rick and, and some of you that are gonna ask questions at the end. We've got some people we know have questions um, that have already submitted those. We're gonna have them ask them, but be thinking too. Yeah. Write something down. If you come up with an idea, we're gonna open it up to the crowd at the end. So you kind of covered the first piece of the question they had for us here, which is you know party line divisions and, and how we approach that. I think our podcast is a good example. The other thing I'd mention about the podcast that's really important to us is he's right. I mean, it is brutally boring to watch that stuff. It's kind of like if you're not that much of a golf fan and you kind of, all right, I'll play, but I'm not sure I can watch it on TV. It's very similar to that. And what we wanted to do is not just dialogue, but talk about it in layman's terms and actually you know, throw in some humor and some jokes, but get down to the core elements of local government because a lot of people don't realize that impacts you in your day-to-day -day life far more than, than, than state or national level. Um, those are the big divisive issues. One of the things that I hate is, is the national divisive rhetoric that exists today. And I, I, I've always been interested in city council, as has my counterpart here. And, and one of those reasons is because the, the topics don't need to be as partisan. And as you can tell from last week and the last couple weeks with the RNC debate, we're going to talk about that in a second, they can get very partisan. But we're talking also about potholes to affordable housing to workforce development to all the things that literally when you turn on your water in your house to get in your car and drive on a road to get to work and the job exists, a lot of that's directly in our purview. So bringing that to you not expecting you to find us on some weird government channel that's like almost C-Spanish that you're never gonna stumble on. Finding ways through social media, through the podcast, through creative stuff with the media and the TV to bring it to you is, is really our goal. And Larkin, that brings me to the final question on this part right here, which is um, what do you think council needs to get right in the next six months? And what should uh, it be looking forward to doing and towards? I didn't read that right. I mean, I think Many of us ran, young, old, Republican, Democrat, we ran acknowledging that one of the biggest challenges in Charlotte is kind of a two-pronged one, one being economic opportunity and economic mobility, uh, the other being affordable housing. And so, as I'm sure all of you that raised your hands and said you lived in Charlotte are aware, housing prices are rising. Whether you, have a, whether you bought a house recently or whether you rent, they're, they're continuing to go up and not just in certain pockets of Charlotte, but across the city. Uh, and at the same time, we've all heard uh, a thousand times since the study came out, Charlotte ranked 50th out of 50 in economic mobility for large cities in this country. So essentially, if you are born among the poorest people in our community, your chances of rising up and, and becoming very successful in this community are very, very low, lower than anywhere else in the country. Um, so I think we, we attack both of those, and, and Tarek actually has embraced, he didn't really run on the affordable housing issue, but has embraced it from the economic opportunity side of it and saying, and it, it's a two-pronged approach, we have to help with the cost of housing, but we also have to help with people's ability to pay the cost of housing. And so if we give people a good job at Red Ventures, and they can afford the housing, then that housing becomes affordable to them. Affordable is, is relative to what you make and where you wanna live. And um, so, so putting someone, training someone to be ready for a good job can make housing affordable to them. At the same time, there's ways that we can come in as, as government and say, we wanna build housing and lock in its affordability. We're gonna subsidize some of the cost of that build to make sure that it's preserved in you know, 15 or 20 or 30 year period as affordable so that people don't have to worry about being displaced. Um, so I think that's really the biggest issue. I think a lot of other issues that people think of when they think of what local government works on, 
like crime would be a good example. Those are all also byproducts of that economic mobility and people's ability to afford. They're long-term byproducts, and they need that long-term fix, but we can't ignore them in the short term and right. say all we're going to do is focus on upward mobility, and crime's just going to be what it is. Right. We do have to, we do have to combat crime today, but we also have to realize that if we can get economic mobility and we can get affordable housing right, we can make sure that people can put food on their table, put a roof over their family's head, a lot of those other things admittedly in the long term, start to take care of themselves. So I think that's, that's gotta be our core focus now. And, um, and that, again, that's what a lot of us ran on. For me, one thing that I think is really important is expanding our mass transit system. Um, so we're gonna lean on Rick to build a rail line from Red Ventures to Uptown Charlotte. Underground. Um, I assume he can do that pretty easily. But um, Thank you. preferably high speed, Rick. Verbally binding, yeah? yeah I think I saw him nod. Got it. But we, we want to expand. And we He's got to go into his Scrooge McDuck pool at home full of gold coins and just like take out a few, toss them in. That's how you get stuff done. But I think we've got to start looking at it more regionally too because you know, we're, talk, we're sitting here talking about Charlotte. You guys aren't in Charlotte and you're not even in North Carolina, but Charlotte is really a region. And so we've got to start thinking about some of our rural neighbors that we might have not a whole lot in common with, but we've also got to start thinking about places like this that are starting to become hotbeds uh, for large growing companies and how they relate to Charlotte. Because you don't pay, well, this building doesn't pay, you know, North Carolina taxes or Charlotte taxes, but it certainly impacts what's going on in the Charlotte region. And so we've got to be cognizant of that. This too. is one team effort here and the only enemy South Carolina. So, I mean, we need to think that way. Uh, if I can build on, that's a joke, just kidding. Um, sorry, Rick. Um, I'll build on one thing. So Larkin, I think, laid out some, some great specific examples of the next six months, and I think what, what we are already focusing on. You don't have to answer this poll since it's the workplace, but I'm just curious. Show of hands, how many are Democrats, registered Democrats? Don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. Uh, and Republicans? Independents? How many of you were too scared to raise your hands? Got it, got it. <laughs> so I, the one thing I'd say is that, and I think we're, we're trying to you know, walk the walk of this, is... I didn't run, like he said, on a lot of those things that he mentioned, yet over the last seven months, I've become really passionate about them, not just because they're, I believe, the right thing to do, but also because Republicans, but more importantly than the, the messed up two-party system of today, those who have conservative principles um, are quickly becoming extinct in top 20 size cities. And it's because a mixture of, we have you know, some people out there that, that um, on all levels, no one specifically, that are not championing those principles properly and are being real D-bags about it. The president. We have, uh, stop, I knew you were gonna do, I was trying to preface that. Um, <laughs> we, uh, uh, but, but then the media out there, I mean, my, all my favorite shows, my wife is like, why do you keep watching you know, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver? Well, it's hilarious, even though he's literally on an attack against my side of the aisle on a daily basis. So you don't hear a lot of that. And what I'm trying to do right now is to take those conservative principles. They are principles that I believe can apply to anything and start pointing them at what top 20 progressive cities actually care about. Our age-old mantra of roads, crime, and taxes, that still works in rural America and great. That's not, that's not what we are char charged with here. Applying those conservative principles of smaller government, of using you know, business pro forma-based analysis to make decisions, things like that can apply to upward mobility, to affordable housing, to um, uh, transportation, all the different kinds of things that a, a lot of top 20 cities care about. So I, I think that's where um, I try to approach our debates that we have uh, every single Monday night pretty much 
to, to also relay that, you know, it, it isn't a terrible, nerdy thing to be a Republican. So we'll win some of you guys over, hopefully. Those debates that y'all are going to start listening to now that you've been part of. You should pull out your phones now, everyone. Let me see. Phones pulled out. Subscribe. R, ampersand, no D, and no the QC. No one's doing it. Got it. Thank you cool. all Thank so you. much for doing that. Appreciate it. Let's Very move to the next agree. topic, Larkin. So, RNC 2020. How many of you followed that or know what that topic is when I uh, bring it up? So now, how many of you, if you were us, would have voted yes to bring them here? And how many of you would have voted no? How many of you in the last week have said something mean about me on social media? <laughs> They're all still like, who is this guy? I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> yeah. We'll yeah. talk afterwards. Okay, right. right. Well, um, uh, so, so this was our big test. Like has been mentioned before, there's a majority of, of city council representatives that have been elected here in this last seven months that are under 40, millennial generation. And this was our first real test of, of, of anything we've had, and it was very difficult. And what I'd say, I'll tell you why I'm in support of it. I would love my party to do their convention here. But I put that aside because just like Larkin put his feelings aside, which I'm sure he'll tell you about how much he hates the president in a second, um, it's about what, doing what's best for Charlotte. And when you look at the fact that there's a $50 million federal grant for security that will come in that we will keep assets for afterwards. It's estimated over $100 million uh, is going to come in in direct and indirect impact to the very people, even though it's one time and not recurring, to the very people we're working every day to try to figure out how to have affordable housing and workforce development opportunities for, uh, that they will get the direct benefit of all of this. Taxpayers are not on the hook from a contractual perspective. And the most important point, and this is a valid argument, I don't agree with it, but this is the valid argument from those who are opposed to it, which is, I hate this president. He's divisive. He's a bigot. All of those things like that. And what I would say is, I am not making this debate about one man. I could have that debate, and we'll have it later on. This is about a convention that 127 million people across this country that are either registered Republican or lean Republican nominate their candidate, their nominee, for president. And it has existed before this man, and it will exist after this man. And should we have the opportunity, which we now have, to, to hold this convention, I believe it will showcase our ability as a, as a city who can have respectful dialogue and focus on, on, on execution to make sure this is a safe event that perfectly balances free speech and the ability for those who want to protest to be able to do it in their own backyard safely and be heard. So that's why I'm right. So, <laughs> one, two people, all right, good. Um, There's going to be huge that. applause for whatever that. he says. Here we go. Uh, so on, number two on Rick's to-do list, after building a, a hyperloop between Red Ventures and downtown Charlotte, I need you, I know you know people, find out who owns that Trump baby balloon, and let's see if we can get that here for uh, August 2020 from, from London. Uh, no. I, yeah. Fine. So it, it was really hard for me, and I've had um, a lot of people that I really care about and really respect that have been really upset with me or, or said they felt disappointed in me. Uh, I voted to bring the RNC, or voted to allow the RNC to be here essentially, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about how I kind of framed that decision in the moment last week, but I think, and there were six, it was six to five, uh, four of us that voted in favor were Democrats, but I was the only one of the young Democrats, which I think people kind of viewed the young Democrats as well, they're gonna be the more radical progressive ones, and, and at times I have been, and this time I wasn't, um, but it, it was tough for me because I think 
January or February, the mayor came to each of us individually and she said, is this something that we're open-minded to doing? Is this something that you think we should look into and get more details on and continue to consider or should we just kind of walk away and say, no, we're, this, this is not a possibility? And out of the 11 council members she asked that question to, only one person said, absolutely not, can't support it, don't do this. 10 other people said, yeah, let's see where this goes and let's find out more about it. Um, at the time, did we know that we'd ultimately end up being the, the place that was chosen? Maybe, maybe we didn't think that far ahead or maybe we were kind of naive in our, our reality in that regard, but you know, I think there is something to sticking to what you say you're gonna do and fulfilling your promise and being a person of your word. And so up until two weeks ago even, still 10 of 11 council members were still given the nod and the go ahead to the mayor to say yes, like close the deal here, bring this thing home. And um, even though I think I could safely say every Democrat on city council does not have positive feelings about this president. Um, but again, we, we didn't just make it about the president. We made it about there's a group of people who wanna come and, and they wanna be heard and there's, there's freedom of speech, there's freedom of assembly. I believe sunshine is the best disinfectant. I believe that in the marketplace of ideas, democratic ideas will win out over time. And I'm not afraid to have that debate. I do understand and respect the concerns that people have about it being in our community and not necessarily the folks that are gonna be on the convention floor, uh, but maybe some of the ancillary groups that will come because of that convention uh, that might be preaching a different rhetoric than the people in the arena, which who will give the benefit of the doubt. But there's, there's people from the left and the right that'll be coming, that will be coming to cause trouble. Um, we both have, and our council has a lot of faith in our police chief. We have a lot of faith in our city leaders, both elected and staff. And I, I genuinely believe we can pull this off. Um, somehow or another, I ended up being painted as the swing vote, which actually uh, compounded the amount of anger online towards me. And uh, it, was, it was definitely a tough week, probably the most trying week of my adult life. But I still genuinely believe, I know uh, someone had submitted a question earlier, so I apologize for ruining your question, you'll have to ask a different one. But they, they asked if I, had, if I regretted my vote, and I don't. Uh, I do still, sitting here today, think that the vote I took was the right one in the moment. Um, I can't swear to you that it was the right decision when we look back on it in September of 2020 and it's, it's over and gone. Uh, I think that it, it still might be. It's, I think that it probably still will be, but I can't make that promise, obviously. Uh, but I do think sitting where I'm sitting today, I think I, we made the right choice. And part of it is because we weren't deciding on Monday of last week whether we wish we'd have made a bid. We made a bid and we pursued it for five months and we gave the mayor the go ahead. We were deciding if five days out from being awarded that convention, we wanted to pull the rug out from under it. And anybody who was around for House Bill 2, other things like that where there's been turmoil between state and local or federal and local government, um, there would have been very swift and serious repercussions if we'd have pulled the rug out from under this, this process five days out. And that was one of the main things that I based my decision on in trying to seek, seeking to avoid that. And, and I, got, I watched, I mean, we've become good, good buddies. I'd say that he, I am definitely his best friend at this point. <laughs> and um, and I, I saw him go through some, some very tough times over, over that two-week period, especially the last week. And it just shows me the, the, the caliber and the character of, of who this guy is. And I hope that when my time comes to look my constituency in the face on something I disagree with them, that I show the spine and backbone uh, that he showed. And uh, the one thing I'd also just mention is, he mentioned this was one of the most challenging decisions, question, you know, that he questioned himself in his adult life. And that 
is saying something. No one's going to be able to see this picture. Because this guy took this picture right here. If you can't see it, this is him hustling at a pool hall. And then this is him with Flavor Flav. Um, so he's two made some... Two-thirds of this room doesn't know he's who Public made Enemy some, is. Some, oh, that's right. He's made some... My punchline is he's made some questionable decisions in his life. So that's a huge, <laughs> huge statement. So now I think it's time, ladies and gentlemen, to bring up your hero, our local hero, um, and we're going to give him a huge, huge welcome, and he's going to throw you the remaining T-shirts. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Yeah! So, welcome to the rotisserie lights. You see Larkin sweating? This is fun. You have a tan. I feel like I'm cooking. He's a profuse sweater. It's incredible. Those are profuse lights. I have a question before we get going. Is this getting edited? Nope. Nope. Oh, gosh. You're in trouble, bud. You're in trouble. Okay. Important. So, so uh, uh, we're going to pick up with you on the RNC 2020 and, and your view of that after our, our dialogue here. But before I ask that, I've always wanted to have a TED Talk. Do I have to be, like, in a plane crash? to be able to get a TED Talk? Like, what, is that, is that the recipe? By the way, on the way down here, he goes, did you know Rick was, he was on some, like, little plane that crashed. I was like, yeah, into the Hudson. I was like, And well, there's I, a movie about it. I, he was like, no way, he was on the Miracle on the Hudson. The He's movie right. wasn't about me. The movie was about Solberg. I just a lucky did passenger. Did someone play you in that movie? Some random guy. Did he look like you? More handsome. Yeah? Yeah. It was a, ah, that guy? That guy. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> okay, so. I mean, there's a question here on the RNC and your thing. It's all safely, you know, procured by your folks and your handlers. What do you think? <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> you know what? I must say, you are two of the most, you're the most fun politicians I've ever seen. So thank the, you. The bar has been set yes, very low. Thank you. Maybe we need more humor in politics. No, 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 please. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, so I, I am left-leaning, um, but I'm in favor of it. And I'm in favor of it. First of all, I respect you for giving your word and standing up for it, and not like many of the others who started getting some heat and then changed what they believe to be right. And maybe my, my thought to you is you're going to disappoint a lot of people, and that shouldn't be your measure as a leader. Your measure is to try to have as clear of a conscience as you can have, and you know what? Stop reading the press. And you know that you did the right helpful. you did the right thing in that you did what you said you were gonna do. Only time will tell if it ends up being the right thing. We have a lot of practice. We've been disappointing our wives for years. So by the way, I was thinking about it. The reason you watch our show is because your wife wants to watch it. It's nothing to do with you. That's yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so All right. So I, I, I literally I, I believe that you know what I think it's it's pretty great that we can host both conventions in such a short span. I think it shows that we are willing to have an exchange of ideas that listens to both sides. And like you guys said to open this, probably the biggest issue we have as a country is that we have stopped listening to the other side. Yes. And if you really want to have inclusion as a society starts with having a conversation. And you guys are leading the way. I, I love this. I love, I love the humor, but I love that you guys are you know, by example, saying we can have a real discussion about it. That's no different than having the DNC here and the RNC here. 
and we should be able to host them both with the same level of you know professionalism and uh, and, and, and warmth, and no matter what politics are. When you're colliding with the masters of the universe uh, up and wherever you, you float up there at the top of the world, um, do you notice the same thing I feel like I notice in the divisive landscape of today's politics, where literally I, couldn't, I, could, I could keep intact every single principle I believe in, every position, everything, and literally the person who hates me today, if I turned around and said, hey, I'm going to become a Democrat, and I hate Trump, that they would all of a sudden embrace me and without changing a certain thing. I mean, do you see that in, in, the, in, the, in the ecosystem today? Oh, and does that bother you, or is that more because we're so immersed in the political world right now that we don't even remember what it's like to be in the real world anymore? You know, I, I think we've lost sight that above being Democrats or Republicans, we're Americans. And I think at the core, if you think about when our country comes together is in a moment of crisis. When something really bad happens, we behave like Americans. And I, 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 I always wonder why can't that be the default? Um, we can have difference of opinions. And by the way, there are things in the Republican side that I believe in wholeheartedly and vice versa. I don't know why we even need to be branded. You know, why can't we believe who are the candidates that represent the best mix of what we believe in? So. And, you know, the people that I, there, there's a lot of concern about the damage that has been done for what our country stands for, regardless of your politics, right? Even staunch Republicans that I know that I feel very concerned that this is, you know, going to have long-term repercussions. That's it. I think the president is doing some things that are really going to be valuable to our country. Again, nothing is binary. Nothing is You're going to have like a thousand emails and letters of, what are you doing now? You're now? Welcome to our world, my friend. I don't care. Well, but what I don't think either party is, <laughs> what I don't think either party has figured out or sees coming is when Tarek anecdotally asked who in this room was a Democrat or Republican, more people raised their hand when you said independent than either of the two parties, by my estimation. And I think more people, particularly in the generation that a lot of us fall into or near to, uh, I think people are just so turned off by both parties because of these purity tests that if you don't meet every one of our criteria, then like, F you, you don't belong in this party. And if, if you don't, you know, if you don't either think Trump is the best thing that's ever happened in this country or the worst thing that's ever happened in this country, then like, you don't get to be at either of these two clubhouses. And there's a religious parallel to that, too. While that same group of millennials is trending more towards non-denominational, almost atheist in some, some, some points, because religion has showed and organized religion has kind of impacted this group in the same way, where they're like, uh, you know what, I'm not so sure. I think, I think we're trending the same way in politics right now. But you know what the, the fundamental issue of that is? You know, when 40% of the people vote in primaries, and 60% of people vote in general elections. We're educating, we're giving our vote to the extremes. Yeah. Our issue is people don't participate in the elections. Because at the end of the day, no matter what, Trump has 30% of the vote. But he has 50% plus of the people that vote. So if you really care about the convention here, you should only speak up if you vote. And in our election, we, we had one of the highest turnouts in uh, municipal election history in Charlotte at 21%. Yeah, and that was like blowing the roof off. I think you should add that to your spirit wall out there. Blowing the roof off? We run off. up escalators yeah. to vote. We run up escalators to vote. 
I'll write it, I'll write it down and email it to you. Um, so, uh, so we're going to have ask two questions. Larkin's going to take the first one. He's going to brutalize this because I don't think he read what he was supposed to ask. By the way, he's dressed like he is a Republican. You're dressed you know like hilarious? a Democrat. What is up with that? It, it's so funny because... And you're the minority. <laughs> what is up with you guys? I realized this was a racist area here. Um, <laughs> the, these hey, are I'm the a minority too, these so These are I'm the good. stereotypes that turn people off, right? He, 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 it just, one, <laughs> it shows us that and, and all of our colleagues. Did you guys change wardrobe outside? We can. Yeah, good. No, I, you know, no, please. One, he wouldn't fit into this, even though I'm getting close, and his would all be covered in sweat, which I'm not interested in. But these lights are so hot. Th this is. I've had a lot of my mentors have, have have said this to me, and actually, I quit and, and unsubscribed from social media on Friday just because one, it got so nasty. I mean, he isn't going to say it, but you know, they had to send a squad car to his house because there were threats of potentially coming there when his wife was there alone. I mean, it was really, really nasty on social media. And I, I view social media as one of the most powerful tools that we've started to harness here to bring local politics to you guys. But I had to delete everything from my phone uh, and, uh, and take a little break. And that, that's what I'm doing right now. But I think the, the punchline there is, one, my mentors have told me, don't, don't go over the top. You have to have an ego to do this, but don't go over the top and think it's about you and all these things. And a beautiful example is when we walked up and Rick came up and he's looked at me and he said, hey, I really respect your vote back there. You did great because I look like the Democrat, right? And Larkin was like, well, what about me? It was harder for me. He's like, oh, it's you, it's you. So see, one, Perception. no one knows who the hell we are. <laughs> and two, I'm cooler. So Larkin's going to- your first joke that landed. Well done. Stop. So Larkin's going to ask a first question uh, to Rick on uh, Red Ventures community involvement. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, and ask some questions about my passion, FinTech, the uh, bank rate acquisition in the future. So why don't, why don't you go ahead and start? So I'm going to make it super easy for you and just tee this up for you to uh, brag on all the great stuff that Red Ventures does and the causes that are important to you and, and you want your employees and your customers and our community to be focused on. I know y'all have done an incredible amount of work in trying to help rebuild Puerto Rico. Uh, know that's very important to you. But then you've also done a lot of stuff with youth. Um, I know you've done some stuff around athletics with like maybe middle school age youth, and then you're trying to help more high school age students, I believe, as it relates to getting job experience and, and being ready for career paths. Um, take any of those you want and expand on them a little bit just about what your value set is and, and why you chose those particular spaces to play in. You know, so this is um, our belief is that companies can be a force of good and that we have the collective energy and creativity and connections and resources to actually make a difference in our community using our platform. So at the core of all the Red Ventures uh, nonprofit work is our employees leading the way uh, as volunteers. And you know you can take any of our nonprofits and literally is littered with Red Ventures employees giving up their skill and their time and their spirit. And I think that's really important. I think companies should stand for something more than just profit making or growth. It should stand for a way to connect into our communities. Our focus in Charlotte is in the 14 to 24 kind of cohort. I think densing up your energy uh, is, a, is a good thing in business as, as well as in uh, nonprofit work. And we're looking for people that are disenfranchised, people that the system has kind of left behind. And we believe today those pockets are undocumented kids, DACA kids. 
We have oh, over 250 of them in colleges or graduating colleges. We have Road to Hire, uh, which is young adults, 18 to 24, out of school, out of work, where we're doing an apprenticeship platform and we're evolving that platform. Let me pause you there. Sure. Chandler Martin, where are you at? Right there. Stand up, my friend. Road to Hire, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This guy, I looked at him when I first met him and I was like, man, I'm not gonna like you. And then you started talking and we fell in love, my friend. Uh, this guy's awesome. He's I'm, the man. I, 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 I'm the uh, co-founder of the Carolina FinTech Hub. More information will be coming up, but we're partnering right now with Chandler to figure out how to take that road to hire model uh, and put, put the, the technology piece of it on steroids, joint venture with the banks and everything. Chandler, we appreciate you, my friend. Amen. Uh, you know, and the last one is life sports. And like everything we do at Red Ventures, we'll start small, we'll iterate. We're treating this like we treat any business. So we're hyper-focused on evolving the model until we figure it out, and then we start scaling it. We are up to 150 young adults, uh, you know, teenagers, you know, middle school kids. We started with basketball, we're launching soccer. We believe that um, the majority of crimes that are committed by our youth happen in the daylight when there's no parent at home. So we're providing a conduit where they get more education, they get a nutrition, and they get a sport, and they keep them really, really busy, basically 50 weeks a year. Uh, and the impact is, is beyond words. Uh, the, the change in these kids, they're, you know, we've been treating them like cactuses when in reality there were plants that had never been watered. And how they're blossoming is just inspiring many of us who are volunteers on this to continue to invest. But we have a bunch of new ideas. You know, we're talking to you know CMS about doing something with our Code Academy. We're talking uh, to other corporations on how do we expand our, our road to hire platform. We, we view this as you know if we can help others help, then we're doing uh, you know as much of our part. Impressive stuff. So he said soccer. Remind me again. What was that? Soccer. Football. The, oh, foot. But it, you, you use your feet. I'm still. I'm, he's, I'm, he's back I'm to the bad jokes. Up on stuff. You know what? Once in a while, he has a good one. So, um, terrible. Rick is now busting my chops. This is how terrible my jokes have gotten. Um, so, let me ask my question now. So, fin fintech is my area of expertise and passion. And we look at you guys and the other two unicorns around here as just like our, our we're so proud of that to be able to tell that as part of our story. I have a two-part question for you. Um, I view fintech in the world as this crazy kind of almost like, you know, internet.com bubble moment that's occurring where everyone's trying to figure out the dominant regions and the banks and the incumbent side are trying to figure out their role with the, with the fintech startups. And um, clearly we can't refer to you as a startup anymore, but, um, you know, what's your view on the Carolinas, Charlotte, fintech in general, and where we are now, do we have a unique value prop of fintechs and banks partnering? This is the place in the world where you can come and partner versus the Valley or Chicago or New York or London where you, uh, our fintech comes and has to hit a home run and you know low probability and there's thousands of them around it versus you can come here and hit singles and doubles and be very successful kind of bridging that ecosystem. So the first question is, how do you view the future of where fintech is going uh, and, um, and, and the role of Carolinas and Charlotte in that? 
The other good thing about Tark is how succinct he is. You know, I really just questions. boiled these he had things 11 down questions to the most in that rendition. Three minutes later. And we're out of time. Thank Mark. you very much. Uh, so I'll try to dissect a few of the questions. So the first one that is... That was just part one. Yeah, yeah. The, the role of fintech, I'm actually not sure I agree with you that this is kind of internet bubble time. I think uh, financial services is an industry that is and will be disrupted for the next decade. I think the advances in technology uh, are going to really give the consumer a lot more power on the kind of engagement they do with their financial products. And, you know, ultimately a lot of the big banks and brands will win because they have the scale and the wherewithal, um, but they'll do a lot of m and in their way there. Um, the way, so that, so I think FinTech is still very, very early, and, uh, and I think we'll, we'll see all sorts of technologies disrupting way, the way we think about um, financial services. Charlotte, it's really interesting that if you think about the three platforms on uh, general consumer financial services of scale today, and there's others, uh, it's Credit Karma, it's Lending Tree, and it's us. Uh, and the fact that two of them are in Charlotte, I think it's pretty unique and you know random and coincidence, right? But um, I think it's uh, it's a, it's a good thing for Charlotte in in general. And just like banking was uh, an important you know part of our story, especially before pre two thousand and eight kind of thing. Um, and and nothing wrong with some healthy competition, right? So we uh, we're, we're literally couple miles apart, which is really interesting. Uh, and I think uh, Avid Exchange is the third unicorn, and they're, you know, we'd known them, Dan and I invested in them when they were a startup in 2001, and we've known Mike forever, and, you know, I've tried to be as helpful as we can in helping them grow. I think the more that we can raise the ecosystem around Charlotte, the better. Now, um, if you think about what both LendingTree and us are doing, less karma is we're looking for uh, assets that plug into our platform. And we both made a series of smaller acquisitions. And I think we both are going to go down that path. We're definitely, you know, looking to grow our respective strategies and markets. And, um, so I'm glad you said that. So the part two question was the bank rate acquisition. Clearly yeah. in fintech, we're all watching that. Very yeah. interesting. Um, uh, what's your ultimate end goal there? What does what five or ten years from now of Red Ventures look like with bank rate? And... Uniquely, you know, you and LendingTree have kind of been on different paths until lately, where now you're starting to play in the same space. And while we love to have our unicorn stories running around here, I've never seen kind of a unicorn battle. And is there, do the horns go in each other? And then you guys run around for a little bit. Like, what, what, what's the whole story of the bank rate piece? And then how you view five or 10 years from now what bank rate, Red Ventures, and then LendingTree and that ecosystem ultimately looks like? You know, the, the, the facts are that we're both insignificant as a, as a market share of the space. So, you know, if we really take on on each other, it's because we let the better part of something get in the middle of it. There's plenty of room for both of us to succeed. Um, I know Doug very well. He's a great CEO, and he's built an incredible company, right? And we have a lot of respect for them, and we realize that we're you know, newer into the space than they are, and, you know, we're, we'll, we're, we'll welcome the challenge to compete and, and compete fairly. Um, as it relates to, for Charlotte, I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of, there'll be a, a platform here where a lot of the startups will be able to kind of lock in into. So be lending trees, so be us, and, you know, I, I actually think Avid Exchange will open up its platform as well over time. As organic growth slows down, they probably are going to look for other ways to grow. 
So I think that's great for what you do, and I think it's great for our community to be able to attract. And, uh, and, and you know, we, we think we'll incubate some startups as well. So we'll see how that all plays out. Before we go to question and answer, I'm guessing, and we'll let, uh, I know some people got to get some mics ready to, to pass around, but I'm guessing that everybody who's ever interviewed you asked you, like, what's your p best piece of advice for someone starting a business or something really cliche. So in trying to think of maybe a story your employees haven't heard three times because three different people have asked it to you, what was the most humbling or embarrassing moment of your career getting Red Ventures off the ground? Is there something that you look back on and it, it really kind of brought you down a notch and you had to overcome it? Um, or you really fell on your face as you were building this. What did you really F up, like really badly? Uh, I, you know, our first four years were awful. Not first four months, four years were awful. We made no money for four years. So the fact that we're here is an accident. And they've heard this story because I don't want us to ever forget that this is... Um, a lot of luck and a lot of hard work to just have a chance to show up to work. Um, but you know what? We, we keep screwing things up. I think if you turn back the clock, we have been late to recognize the power of our platform. We should have been you know, capitalizing on our momentum way earlier. We should have done more M&A earlier. We should have added a lot more talent to our platform earlier. We should have been bolder. We should have made bigger bets earlier. Um, but you can't change the past. You can only change the future. Is there a bottoms-up call to action for your employee? I mean, you've built an incredible employee base. As much as I've been joking around about other stuff, the culture here is impressive. Do you have like a bottoms-up call to action of we accept and are on the lookout for good ideas anywhere? Done. No. Okay. We got it. No. <laughs> you know, so we, uh, listen, I haven't built this culture. This culture has been built by many, many leaders that, and, and everybody. You know, culture is thousands and thousands of decisions that happen every day. And it, it never stops changing. It's, it's a bit like a shark. If it stops changing, it dies. So we're, you know, we're evolving as fast as we've ever been evolving. Our growth rate this year organically uh, has accelerated. And then with acquisitions, we're growing you know, insane amount. And that growth creates all sorts of challenges. Yeah. Uh, and it, cre it really assaults the core of our culture. And you know, we're leading our way through it. And it's not pretty at times. Uh, but that's what's beautiful. What's beautiful is that it's not pretty. And, you know, this is our first time around for many of us doing a lot of these things, and we're figuring it out as we go. Just like uh, us on city council. Yeah. We've screwed up a ton. Um, so we've, let's have we've uh, got one four, or two quick questions. Well, we've got four people that submitted questions ahead of time, so they get first uh, crack at it if they want to ask them to any of the three of us specifically or toss it to us in general. And then if there's time, and that'll be up to uh, the boss man, and crew. I think we got time for about two questions, probably, right? Is anybody so the four people who submitted their questions already four, changed their minds? Four here? We got one over Still here. Still want to ask them? We have a buzzer. It will go off in 15 seconds. Song. Hey, uh, my name's Rob. Um, so Charlotte obviously struggles with economic mobility within our city. Uh, studies have shown that one of the best ways to improve economic mobility for um, lower income families is uh, through uh, uh, mixed income housing. So what proposals do you all have or are there any um, that you would like to see through 
uh, to increase the mixed income housing and just the disparity of great great question and I could we could talk for a very long time so I will do my best right now to keep this as a soundbite won't work um, we are working really, really hard on affordable housing right now, and one of our colleagues calls it diverse price point housing, not just like, obviously concentrating lower income housing in certain areas is not the solution. The real challenge we have, as you'll all probably see, we've just voted to uh, approve and put $50 million, record-breaking for this area, uh, of spend to put in the housing trust fund on the ballot in a referendum this November. You will all have a chance to vote yes or no on that. So the money's there. The big debate we're having between now and then is, I, as I've boiled it down and come to understand it, there are two competing forces right now. In a perfect world, you'd do both. One is the number of, of, the, of units that are missing in this affordable housing crisis. And right now, some would argue that's around 24,000. There are 24,000 more people that make certain m amounts of money in lower amounts where there is not that much capacity in the apartments or the houses that they can, that they can have. So you look at that and you want to put that 50 million towards as many houses as you possibly can and get them out there so they can have apartments. But then on the other side is this concept of upward mobility and locational policy and where you actually place that stuff. So now... In South Park, where one of the areas I represent, of course, the upward mobility of putting folks in there with the amenities and everything around it is going to be incredible for upward mobility. But property values are anywhere between five and 55 times more expensive for the land you need to put it on. So now all of a sudden, you have this competing objective of, am I gonna go after the number or am I gonna miss that number by a mile but, but actually solve the impact of upward mobility there? So that's what I'm, I'm focusing on right now is, is that uh, contradiction. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Targ being brief. That was brief, <laughs> super brief. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're working right now on our locational policy because we know that concentrating poverty, we know that old model, older big city model of building a, a giant tower of the lowest of the low-income people um, does nothing to help get those people out of poverty. And so one of the big things that the um, Opportunity Task Force looked at when they were kind of trying to unpack why Charlotte was so bad at economic mobility was that one of the key ingredients is social capital, essentially, and that if someone is able to move in next to you and live there in an affordable way for their budget, um, that gives them social capital because you're going to meet them and you're going to form a relationship with them and say, hey, you'd be great for this new opportunity we have at Red Ventures. We're hiring this whole new team of people, and you've got the right personality to do it, and you're going to open that door for them in a way that if we put people... Um, who all have, have really not had those kind of opportunities that maybe you've had, and, and concentrating them in, in pockets of poverty, that door will never open for them. So a lot of it is, is giving people the opportunity to interact with those uh, unlike themselves uh, that open doors like that. And, and that social capital is a key piece. That's exactly what Carolina Fintech Hub and Chandler with Road to Hire is, is exploring with some other partners right now. Rick, uh, you're building, uh, what is it, Clono? I mean, is there any angle inside Clono that... Uh that uh, touches upon this. <laughs> We're never gonna be invited back. No comment. No comment. All Perfect. Right. Next. Next question. One more, and then I have We'll try not to let it, Tarek answer this one, so maybe we can get a third yeah, question I won't, in. I won't answer it. Okay, it's four people submitted questions, and they all left. Chandler. So, um, there's a pretty large disincentive structure to run for elected office, both with social media, but also you guys are working two full-time jobs. Can you talk about the structure of city council in ways that we could 
modify the construct of city council to incentivize more people like yourselves to run for politically elected office? So the challenge is that right now, um, the mayor, the city, every elected official in Mecklenburg County, uh, but for like the sheriff, that might be it, um, and the DA, are part-time. So we are part-time, our mayor is part-time, we're one of the biggest cities in the country that has part-time elected officials, particularly a part-time mayor. We're also one of the largest cities in the country um, that has two-year terms for our elected officials, which means even though we've only been in office seven months, we're only like seven more months from having to ramp up our campaigns again, and that's obviously a distraction from the work we're trying to do. Uh, so there's a couple ways you could tweak that system. Obviously, four-year terms, it, it lessens the amount of accountability we have to you as a constituent potentially because in theory, I could ignore you for three years and then just come back and be like, Raise hey, taxes for three years and then um, all of a sudden. But it also means that you're getting more work out of that person because they're not spending half their term just trying to constantly run for re-election. The, the double-edged sword of raising the salary, we make like $23,000 a year being on city council and we're both putting in probably over 50 hours a week doing it on top of a day job. Um, the problem with raising the salary is that some would argue that it then incentivizes people to do it because it's a good, it's a good paycheck. Or this something. should not be a career, in so, my opinion. But then the other argument is, it's, it's the same thing around, uh, we talked about nonprofits earlier, it's the same argument people make about, well, a nonprofit CEO shouldn't be paid a quarter of a million dollars. It's like, well, you kind of get what you pay for also. Mm -hmm. And so if that quarter million dollar CEO can raise exponentially more um, funds for that nonprofit, are they not worth that paycheck versus paying somebody $50,000, but what kind of CEO are you gonna get for $50,000? So when you say we're only gonna pay you 23,000 bucks, you essentially end up with, like you had in 2015, all older folks are either retired, uh, not the primary breadwinner in their household or independently wealthy, or there's a handful of us that have been able to come in and have very either, in Tark's case, he's his own boss, as is the case for a couple others, Braxton does contract work that he can kind of pick and choose his schedule, and I just have a very understanding boss and a very flexible schedule. That's unique. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't work at Red Ventures Monday through Friday and be on city council. It would just be nearly impossible. You couldn't work at Wells Fargo or Bank of America and also be on city council. It, it really limits who can do it. Who can, yeah, who can do it, and I think, you know, I would take a pay cut to do this full time, but I can't pay my mortgage in Plaza Midwood for $23,000 a year, so it's, there's arguments on both sides. The other problem is every time it comes up, voters lose their mind. You know, look at these dirty politicians that want to pay themselves more uh, or want to have four-year terms, want this to be full-time work, and it just doesn't play well as a headline on the paper. County Commission put it on the ballot a couple years ago to, to go to four-year terms as one of those levers, and voters overwhelmingly voted it down. So it's, you know, people can't really see the forest for the trees as, as that goes. Thank you, Larkin. Incredibly concise. Rick, um, any, any thoughts from you there? I just want to make a note on your nonprofit CEO who raises a lot of money. I don't think that should be the job of a nonprofit CEO. Mm. Well, Burn. but they bring value to the organization. Sorry, I couldn't resist. They, bring, you know, they bring value to the organization and you... Let, let's talk about the question. I, my, my opinion in that question is there's a big gap between $23,000 and $250,000. And, and also I do wasn't agree with proposing you. that for city no, council. No, no, but yeah. I'm with you guys. I, yeah. I actually believe that um, 
if this is not a career track, there should be an ability to do this and do it wholeheartedly and full-time. And it's, you know, I, I commend you guys. I'm grateful because you guys clearly care, care about our city, care about us, care about our kids, care about our issues to do this above and beyond. And I know the shit you put up with uh, in the last week, it's not fair. So, you know, again, hopefully you, you realize that in time, you know, truth comes out, you're standing up for what you believe, and you know what? I wish more politicians did that, so thank you. Well, we Agreed. said we don't edit this show, but now we'll have to. That's it. So listen, um, let's, let's close out here. For those of you who are uh, regular podcast listeners of R&D and the QC. Uh, all three of you. All three of you. Please uh, encourage your friends to download it. But you'll notice that early on, I think this is episode, what, 28? This will be episode 28, and, and we've done it weekly. So that's 28 weeks, basically. I learned very quickly in the beginning, it's the math. Good math. Um, I learned very quickly that Larkin is just abysmal at his understanding of pop culture and movies. It is terrible. So now I've been trying to trick him up with questions to really show this to folks. So now we're going to do the, the Larkin and Rick version. They get to answer these four uh, quiz questions I've come up, pop culture related. Uh, and if they can't answer them, then we'll open it up because everyone in the world knows these things. Um, Rick, you get a pass because you've been busy. Um, let's start with question one. You guys ready? Shout the answer out here if you know it. Who is Kaiser Sose in the film Usual Suspects? Larkin, you're not even going to try? He, I, don't know, I don't know. He's the killer that they're looking for. Um, a description was not of the, of the role. Who? who? The name so of the person? Okay. Oh, like who played I it? I have a job, dude. Answers? Hey. We, Kevin Spacey's correct. We would have also accepted verbal kint. Thank you. Kevin Spacey. He's great. That's a popular name. Yeah. Two. He's doing well now. It's good. This party is lit. This party is lit means this party is fun. This party is lame. There is a fire at this party. Or everyone here is on drugs. Well, A and D, probably. That's why it's fun, because they're all on drugs. D. But mainly A. D. I actually didn't look the answer up to this one, so I'm not sure. But I'm going to go with the drugs. You win. You did not. Okay. What 90s movie was the first and only animated film to receive a Special Achievement Academy Award? Toy Story. Yes. Toy Story. That didn't sound like the end of the question. <laughs> Fine. You are a sore loser. Yeah. And I was finally, say Shrek anyway. first of you that, 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 uh, that shoots this answer out wins. It will get harder each time I give a clue. What rapper said these lyrics? I should know this, actually. I got so much money I could buy a bench. A bench? Two. B-E-N-C-H. Tupac. Correct. What? Tupac. No, no, incorrect. Rick, is that, is that the only rapper you know, Rick? In, in the kitchen... Yams everywhere. Oh. Uh, hearing him read it in like Finally, corny white guy voice makes it so hard to. Let me finish this whole lyric. Chain hang to my dingaling. Chain hang. Chain hang to my dingaling. Snoop Dogg. No. Snoop Dogg. Yes, no. Audience. Is it, Two chains. Uh, yeah. Thank you for proving 
me right once again. That one I should have known. I feel bad about that one. Stuff. We're going to have to probably edit that too. Rick, <laughs> Rick, we cannot thank you enough for being here with us. We and also apologize. And we apologize and we in apologize. advance. I'm sure this is our first and, and last, last time here. And last invitation or adventures. But we appreciate all of you. Larkin, final words? Who wants a t-shirt? Who wants a t-shirt? Thank you all for being here. We are out. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you.